Looked like a sword. <laughs> it's wonderful. Right, please grab your Bibles and uh, switch on your mobile devices if that's what you use uh, for a Bible and put it into silent mode. And um, let's uh, jump into Galatians chapter 2. Um, Galatians chapter 2. I haven't got time now in terms of this series to give you a full overview of where we have come uh, because that would just take up all our time. It was a phenomenal first chapter in Galatians. There's a lot of meat there. I would encourage you if you are here for the first time, you're jumping in now as to uh, what this series looks like, then please go online and uh, you can find all the messages on there uh, as well. Or you can just talk to one of the South regulars because I'm sure they'll remember every message in great detail um, and they'll pull out their journals and, and no, it's just uh, it's, it's a, a, a wonderful book and we're committed to working through it bit by bit, verse by verse, which causes us to, uh, to actually address some things that are challenging. And last week was, was a little bit that way. And so thank you for your encouragement and your emails uh, from last week's message. I encourage you to, uh, to listen to that if you haven't. But we're really getting into the meat of what the challenge was in the Galatian church at that time. And this week, we've got two of the great New Testament characters really hitting one another head on. This is, this is a fight between the two apostles, Peter and Paul. And you're going to see this is pretty vehement. But from this fight, from this tension, from this challenge, is some actually wonderfully encouraging reminders that I want us to get into uh, today. So we're going to jump in straight away to Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 and, uh, and we'll start working through this passage together. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Uh, but when Cephas, who's Peter, this is Paul talking, uh, remember he's just been talking about how he'd come back from Jerusalem, he'd met with Peter, James and John, and he'd talk through the gospel to make sure that his message of the gospel was the right one. Um, so we worked through that and then he's saying now, when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. So Peter, we know. Peter is a, a well-known character in the New Testament, and he's coming to Antioch. Peter is not, Antioch is not home to Peter, uh, because it's very much a Gentile city. Antioch was a beautiful, metropolitan, very, very trendy uh, center of culture. Uh, city. It was, it was a, a beautiful culture. It had arenas, it had stadiums. It was right on the port. And any city that was on a port really was, was geographically placed to be very influential. And, so, and it also is a place where very, many diverse characters and nationalities and backgrounds would descend just by nature of where it was geographically. So you have a very uh, cosmopolitan um, forward-thinking, modern city. Think uh, Portland, Seattle. That kind of where people would come, where some major industries would be, but also the thinking would be pretty secular. It would be very enlightened, lots of philosophy. It's, uh, that's where we're at. So Peter, this isn't home for Peter. This is, this is where Paul is camping out for a while. This is Antioch. And I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul does not punch, uh, does not pull back on any punches here. He's saying, look, I, I really got into Peter's face. And, and so why was that? Why was it that immediately Paul is after Peter 
uh, as soon as they, they come together. My first point, if, you want, if I wanted to give this message a title, it would be Come to the Table, which is why we have this on our stage this morning, beautifully put together by Nicole and Ethan and the boys. They've done a wonderful, uh, wonderful job and uh, complete with bottle of wine. Emails to Lyndon Thomas at ltaconsultants.com. Is that right, Lyndon? Um, so we're going we're gonna to refer to this quite a lot, um, but the message this morning, the title is Come to the Table. And so Come to the Table of Grace. Antioch was a metropolitan place. It was a place where the church was growing very quickly. So why was Paul immediately going after Peter? By nature, the church in Antioch had done a wonderful job of bringing very diverse people together under the common worship of Jesus Christ. It would bring diversity, very, very opposite thinking people together under worshipping Jesus Christ, which is amazing. Not only is it amazing, but two particular groups of people brought together, common under Jesus, were the Jews and the Gentiles. It's very difficult for us as Christians in our kind of Gentile world to understand what a miracle that actually is. That a Jewish person and a Gentile person coming together, a a Jew, non-Jew, coming together to worship, to spend time together, to do community together, to do church together, to be equal under God is, is actually very hard for us to understand because we don't have these kind of walls built up nationally as Canada we we just we love people you know that's our that's our thing that we're very accepting and and so but these people would have nothing to do with one another not so much from Gentiles to Jews but very definitely from Jews to Gentiles see the wonderful thing about the gospel is the gospel is exclusively inclusive One of the accusations against Christianity is that we're exclusive. We don't want people. We hate that person. We hate that thinking. We hate this. We hate that. And unfortunately, to my my sorrow, there is much in Christendom, in the evangelical, and I'm using this very purposefully because I don't believe it truly is evangelical because it's now become like a political term, but there's this built-up reputation that Christians are against people rather than what actually we read in the New Testament is not what we're against but who we are for and the scripture is clear we are exclusive there is one way and his name is Jesus so we're exclusive about that unapologetically so but we are inclusive in a way that I don't believe any other community on this planet is inclusive So we live in a culture that prides itself on being inclusive while at the same time actually being extremely exclusive. You can be like us, you can think like, you you can join us as long as you think like us. Whereas Christianity, the gospel, the table of grace actually says you are welcome. You are welcome here. We want the South, this church, to be a place where people feel accepted and expected. That's what we want. That's our heart. That's our desire. Now, a little while ago, I got a, uh, a couple of years ago, I got a letter from somebody who I would say has diverse beliefs from Christianity. They would not be typically Christian, doctrinally, theological beliefs. They had their particular worldview that, uh, that historically the Christian church would be criticized for hating. And they said, would we be welcome at your church? Would we be welcome at our church? That's an easy answer. Of course, 
everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome at the table of grace. But then they continued, and, and, and I felt like the email very definitely was just wanting a fight more than anything. And so I was very careful. I checked it with my, my, my wife and made sure that my answer was appropriate and loving and kind. Because what they said was, would we be welcome and would our truth be accepted? Mm, mm. Okay. Probably not. Probably not. Because if you're coming to church expecting to worship a God who agrees with everything that we agree, that is no God at all. (laughs) There is always going to be a point when we come into our contact with God where he'll challenge something that we believe to be true and we actually find out that the Bible isn't read so much but it reads us and it clashes with a truth that we believe. And that's the way it should be. So it's come to the table... It's inclusive, but we have an exclusive truth. But the good news is, is the truth will actually set you free. It will set you free. And so the Jews and the Gentiles have been brought together, and they were doing something quite remarkable. They were eating together. Look, let's look at this scripture again. He stood condemned, for certain men came from James, and he was eating with the Gentiles. So before these, these imposters, these false teachers came, then, uh, then, then Peter was quite happy to eat with the, Jews, uh, with the Gentiles. That again is, is miraculous. Because Jews would not eat with Gentiles. Um, it's, it's very difficult again for us to understand what this means. Because eating together at this point was a profoundly important and powerful statement. The Jews believed that their food set them apart, made them pure and acceptable to God. And if you ate with somebody who was not eating kosher, then you actually were bringing impurity into your life and making yourself unacceptable to God. And so to sit down, for a Jew and a Gentile to sit together at the same table and share a meal was a proclamation of the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to bring together. The power of the gospel to be inclusive. The power of the gospel to say, actually, the only way that you can be pure before God is through the gospel, not through what you eat. And so what Paul is saying here is, hey, Pete, you, you had no problem with sitting down and eating with people who were Gentiles before these men came. See, eating is incredibly, incredibly important. Remember Jesus getting criticized in the New Testament because he, ate da- he sat down and ate with sinners? Same reason. Because the Jewish uh, culture, the Jewish history, the Jewish ceremonial and dietary laws said, you must not eat with a Gentile. If you do, you are making yourself unacceptable to God. But the gospel says, no, that's not how you get to be acceptable with God. You don't get acceptable by what you do. You get acceptable by what he did on the cross for you. So they ate separately to maintain purity. I wish that we could have a little more honor around our eating. You know, and I say this as a, as a British person, and I know I'm a very aware that the Brits are well known for their beautiful culinary uh, food. The food. And I point to people like Gordon Ramsay as evidence and, uh, and other chefs from Britain. You know, and I actually started making a bit of a list of some of the food uh, that, uh, that some of which I really miss. You've got bacon butties. You've got scotch eggs. Trifle. My mum makes a fantastic trifle. I think we have trifle in Canada. Mushy peas that actually literally glow. Like if you look at a pile of mushy peas on your table, fish, chips, mushy peas, they seem to like... 
have radiation. It's, it's wonderful. I'm sure it's healthy. Crumpets. Crisp sandwiches. How many of you know what a crisp sandwiches is? Yes. Uh, pork pies, my wife's favorite. Cornish pasties. Scones, scones, you have those here as well, but Britain's very famous for those. And shepherd's pie. All of which is this common stodge throughout. It's kind of it's wonderful. Now, so eating isn't necessarily high on, uh, on everybody's mind, especially in Britain, you know. But, but the, the nicer the food, the finer the food, the higher respect we give to the process of eating. And eating in the Bible is really, really important. It's a time of coming together. It's a time of sharing. It's a time of remembering. It's a time of, of celebration, a time of community, a time of enjoying good food together as brothers and sisters and laughing and, and enjoying one another's company. They had a very high value on it. And the beautiful thing is, is when it comes to the table that Peter and the Gentiles and the Jews would sit at, it was a table of grace. They came to this table of grace that was, uh, was an open invite to everybody to come. Come sit at the table. Come sit at the table. Come join us. Come have that thing that we're all desperately striving and looking for. Friendship, for connection, for community, for love. Because I know as soon as we pull this thing together called our gathering on a Sunday morning, that there are people who feel alone in the crowd doesn't matter how many people are around you, you still feel alone. It doesn't matter how busy your life is, you still feel alone. And this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is this open invite to come and sit at the table of grace and enjoy the meal that Christ has prepared for us, his body, his bread, the bread broken for us, his body, the wine representing the blood of the cross. Come enjoy this. Come be part of this wonderful, divine, beautiful, ultimate family called the kingdom of God. But also come connect with one another come stand shoulder to shoulder together in this thing called life let's stop pretending that we can do this by ourselves it really is not just parenting by village it's life by village it's life together we were not created and designed to do things by ourselves and i think one of the greatest dangers that we're stepping into as a community and as a culture is being forcibly placed upon us by in the form of our phones our phones our phones encourage this ability to step back and separate because we somehow believe in this fake community that we're part of with people we don't actually know I was watching a video the other day in Pursuit School as I was lecturing on millennials and Gen X and Gen Y. And it's a fascinating subject, it really is, that this guy on the video was talking about, and I can send you this video, it's a fantastic video. He's talking about why millennials especially find it so difficult to connect into workplaces. And he said that he believed that the main reason was, was because of the technology that they have that they've been brought up with. Because now, when you sit in a waiting room, or you wait for a meeting to start, or you wait for somebody for coffee, whatever, the first thing that we do is we pull out our phones, and we start looking for community or entertainment or filling our mind. What it used to be is we didn't have this. We'd actually look up, see who was around us, and perhaps start a conversation with somebody across the way. And what he was saying, you know, you sat waiting for the meeting, and and you, 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 instead of looking at your phone, you put your phone away and you're looking at the person who's waiting for the meeting as well and goes, hey, how's, how's your dad? I, I heard he's been in hospital. Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, it's been a bit of a rough time. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Tell me, conversation, community, table. 
And so we drift away from the table. And, and, and we start pointing and, and start thinking, well, the reason why I'm feeling alone is this reason and that reason. Whereas actually, it's because maybe we don't have enough of this in our lives. We stray from the table. We stray from the table. Because look, this next, this next verse here in, in Galatians chapter 2. But when they came, these people, he's still talking to Peter. When they came, he, Peter, drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Okay, first of all, get a different name. That, that is not going to mark it well. But it's going to come up again in a minute, so they're very committed to it. But that doesn't sound like any kind of party to me. Sounds, but anyway, if they want to call themselves a party, then they go for it. But there's, there's three words here that, that resonate for church. You ready? And it's not the circumcision party. Not those three words. Drew back, separated. Drew back, separated. Peter drew back and separated himself from the table of the gospel. He drew back and separated himself. They didn't, the gospel, the church, the community did not make him do it. He did it. He did it. And by doing it, what he's saying is this. I am happy to sit at the table whenever it's convenient. Because we learn later that Paul actually calls him a hypocrite. Whenever it's convenient, I will play act around the table. The table of the gospel, the table of church, the table of community, the table of connection. And, and, but, but also, I will move over to my old life whenever it's convenient, whenever it is actually helpful to me. I will go away from the gospel, away from the church. I will draw back. I will separate myself in order to gain distance in case so that I can be part of this really exciting circumcision party and all that they represent. That's literally what he's doing. He's saying it's old life, new life. And this is an old issue with Peter. Peter has sat at the table of the gospel. He's enjoyed church. He's enjoyed community. He's enjoyed connection with one another, with other people, with Jews and Gentiles. It's beautiful, inclusive community that we all strive for and want. He's experienced that. He's fought for that. So why is it now that he's separating himself? Let me read some scripture to you in Acts chapter 10. This is an old issue with Peter. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about six hours to pray. He's praying for six hours. Okay, hands up. I show of hands. How many last, last time of us went to a rooftop and sat down for six hours to pray? Okay, that. So, you know what? He's sincere. He's got his eyes fit. Remember this. He's got his eyes fixed firmly on the gospel in Jesus Christ. Firmly on the table. Peter went up to the housetop about six hours to pray, verse 10, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheep, sheet, excuse me. It's a whole other vision that Peter had in Acts chapter 30. Um, (laughs) Oh dear, praise the Lord. Let me say that again. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being led down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And then came a voice to him. And this is Jesus, because if you read this in Acts chapter 10, you'll see it's red letter. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, 
For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. That's what the Jews believed. Verse 15, and the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. He's pointing to the gospel. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once in heaven. And he, Peter, later on in the story says, to the circumcision party, they're coming up again, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water baptizing these people? For they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So here's what's happened. Peter's had this vision. Jesus himself has said, Peter, the the way you eat, the way you live your life, the things that you do are not what make you acceptable to me. What makes you acceptable to me is the gospel, the, the table, the community. That's what makes you acceptable. What Jesus has done on the cross. And Peter sees the truth of this because Gentiles are becoming Christians. He's passionate about this truth. The same truth that Paul is now standing up for in Galatians. So much so, he gets criticized for it. Look at this in in Acts chapter 11. This is after that whole vision and experience of seeing people coming to know Jesus. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, them again, criticized him saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them. He fought for it. He stood strong for the gospel. Now he's drifting away from it. That's a very, very long explanation in terms of the history of it, but it's important for this reason. What Peter is doing is he's not just straying away from the activity of eating. He's straying away from the essence of who Jesus Christ is. And he's going back to his old life. The old life that he stood up, he defended this life to the old life, the circumcision party. Now he's listening to it. He's moving from slavery, uh, from freedom to slavery. So he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So what has this got to do with us? It's actually profoundly applicable to every one of us, whether you're a Christian or not. Jesus gives the invite, come to the table. He said, I died for your sin and shame so that you could be welcome at this table. Come sit can be part of what I have called church, can be part of biblical community, can be part of the friendships that are actually common in Christ, can be part of it. And in that you will find freedom, in that you will find joy, in that you will find that the design by which you have been created is fulfilled. Do not stray from it. Paul is fighting for that. But what we do is we stray away from that. We go back to the old. We go back to the old ways thinking that somehow in that is freedom while all the time freedom is found here. And I want to very gently and lovingly and pastorally suggest something. That if you find that you are feeling drawn back and separated, not just from church, because I have to say, church gets a bad rap. It does. It's the church's fault. If only the church would be this way. If only the church would stop this. And I'm talking not just church Christendom. I'm talking local church in Kelowna. Not just Willow Park Church, but church in Kelowna. Gets a bad rap. Because what happens is, and I'm saying this very gently and carefully, and I want to explain why I think this, is the decision to move away from the table of the gospel, 
the table of community, the table of what actually brings freedom, is not the table's fault. See, the church represents the gospel in this, king, in this city. It's not the table's fault when we draw away. We, who, he drew back and separated himself. And so, in those times where we feel drawn back and we're drawn and isolated, let's be very careful. We don't blame the table. Let's actually look at ourselves for a second. Because in my experience, the people who are most in love with Jesus are also most in love with what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves his bride, the church. Is it messy? Absolutely. Sometimes it's beyond messy. Sometimes it's like herding cats. It really is. Is it, have we got things right? No, we haven't. Could things be better? Yes, they could. They really could. We can't do everything. If you find a perfect church, you are not going to be welcome there. Because you're not perfect. You're going to find something. You're going to find some reason to withdraw yourself. Some reason that seems to be more attractive, just like Peter. And I want to gently suggest that if you feel withdrawn and separated from the church of Jesus Christ, if you feel withdrawn and separated from life, if you feel withdrawn and separated uh, uh, from Jesus himself, then the reason has to start with looking at here first. Now, I had, a, I had an experience. It lasted a couple of years, a few years back now. It's almost five years, which is crazy, where I, I basically burnt out. I, I withdrew myself mentally, emotionally, in every way. Not many people saw it, because sometimes I was still up here preaching. But I withdrew. I separated myself. And even in the darkest times, and I've shared this before on the pulpit, even in the darkest times, in the darkest times, and it did get really dark, that I knew that deep down inside that it was not Jesus' fault, even though I shouted at him. It wasn't the church's fault, even though it wound me up. Even though there were things that like, really kind of made me angry and frustrated. And the process of coming back to Jesus, I suddenly found that actually the church is amazing. What changed, the church or me? The Spirit of God changing me, drawing me back to the table of grace. And that's what's so beautiful about this, is because I find this really encouraging. Because this person who separated himself and drew back was the person that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus had tremendous faith in Peter, even though Peter had a resume that wasn't really great. He took responsibility many times. Why do we withdraw? Maybe it's FOMO, fear of missing out. I want to be where other people are. I want to have what they have. I want, I want this that I don't have right now. Maybe it's just easier, because can I tell you, it's easier to draw back from church and Jesus than it is to stay sat at this table, sometimes shoulder to shoulder with people that you don't like. Yeah, I just said that. Because we're called to love one another. We're not called to like them. Just saith the Lord. You can write that down. It's true, though. There are times I don't like Sarah. Sorry, love. No, you wrote that down. Clipboards. <laughs> I knew I'd have a use for these. There are times when Sarah and I get into a discussion. And I don't like it at that moment. But my commitment to sit at the same table of life with her does not allow me to walk away from her. It's exactly the same with church. 
We are called to sit shoulder to shoulder with one another with the commonality of the gospel. Thank you, Nicole. That was prophetic, putting the bread and the wine there, representing the gospel. We surround the gospel. That's our connection. And sometimes this connection with one another is not strong enough. This is. And so we commit to one another, even in the difficult times. Sometimes it's just easier to walk away. Jesus never said it was easy being part of church. That is not in the scriptures. In fact, the opposite is true. And when we allow our preferences to become our priorities, what do I mean by that? Well, church should be this way. It should have this kind of worship. It should have this kind of dress. It should have this kind of clothing. It should have this. When we start looking at methodology and start making our preferences that we're wired towards, our priorities, and say, this is what the table has to look like. Actually, no, it's not what the table has to look like because what we're doing is we're looking at the methods of church rather than the actual gospel itself. So you might be somebody that's all about worship and, and, and that's wonderful. That, that's the way God has wired you, but that is not the only way that church should be done. You might be somebody that's all about serving the poor and that is wonderful and that is great and that's the way God has wired you, but that is not the way that the table should be set around the poor. You might be really, really passionate about the arts. I am, but that is not the way that the church was designed to be set around. The gospel is what the church is around. And so as long as we keep coming back to the gospel, we're going to be on safe track. Going further, not only do we make our preferences priorities sometimes, we make our conscience code. What do I mean by that? We stray away from the table because perhaps there are times when God is dealing with something in my own heart that he's not dealing in Grant's heart. And the second that I start looking at Grant's life and say, hey, you should be dealing with the same stuff I've got and unless you get in line with what I'm dealing with. So for example, topics like the music you listen to or the movies you go to or the TV shows that you... Maybe God is convicting you personally. You don't build church around that. That's for you and God to sort out. And there'll be things that people do in their lives that might cause you to go, I don't like that. I can't love them. Because that is code. You don't do that. Issues like smoking, tattoos, hairstyles, dress sense, the type of music, the places they go to, that's all conscience stuff that God in God's time will sort out if he needs to at all. We don't build church around it because that causes friction. That's not what we're about. Does that make sense? We have to be very careful to guard. So the second that anything we do as a church becomes this, that's the second it doesn't belong the center like if we do anything like the kids have got to be the center no the gospel's the center it's so crucial and it works in other aspects of our lives too in parenting you replace this gospel christ jesus with anything at all then you start straying away from the table i could give you all sorts of examples but listen to last week's message when this gets replaced with the stuff that's in the gap you move away from the gospel Okay, let's move on. Oh, by the way, this is a place of cynicism, criticism, and often self-righteousness. We have to be very, very, and disunity and disruption. And that's for my job as a pastor to continually point us to the gospel and allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to work out everything else. I love what Bonnie said. She said, sometimes I just want to fix them. I'm a fixer, Bonnie, I'm with you. But the Holy Spirit's way, way, way better than I am at it. Okay, really quickly, number three. So he drew away and sat at the table of hypocrisy. 
And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Wow. It's a very simple point. Peter was being a hypocrite. A hypocrite literally at that time was a job. A hypocrite was like calling somebody an actor. If you're an actor, you're a hypocrite. It was just a noun. It's pretending to be something that you are not. And so Paul is saying, you're a hypocrite. You're saying that you're sat at this table, but you're living life over here. And here's what happens when we live in hypocrisy, parents. Listen, we start drawing other people away with us. And that's a very powerful position to be in as a parent. While declaring that Jesus Christ is head of your table, home, while at the same time continually replacing him with other things, is hypocrisy. And it draws people away, your kids. Now, I'm not saying that they will never be drawn back to the table. And I'm not saying the reason they're away from the table is your hypocrisy. But it's a continual point of of conviction that I come back to as a parent going, am I placing the gospel, Jesus Christ, as head of this family? And am I backing that up by what we do and what we say and what we prioritize? Because if not, I'm in danger of being a hypocrite. Do we place Jesus Christ as head of our business and do we say, speak, act like he is and we follow through with our values like he is? Or do we say that but actually do business in a completely different way? Do we have friends that we say we're Christians to while at the same time continually prioritizing other things? It just goes on and on. And what it does is it draws people away. I say to young people who are interested in getting in a relationship with somebody who's not a Christian, listen up, young people. But he's so lovely. And he believes in God. And he's really nice. Great. Or she's amazing. She, she, goes to, she used to go to church. She likes youth. Wonderful. That's great. Is Jesus Christ Lord of their life? Not just Christian, but godly life. Well, not really, but I'm feeling like maybe if I get into a bit, this is what we do mentally, if I get into a relationship with them, maybe I can bring them to church. So here's, here's what happens. You're in danger of getting into hypocrisy because if you get into that relationship, in some way what you're doing is prioritizing that relationship over what the Bible actually says we should be doing, which is prioritizing Jesus Christ. So if we say that we believe in Jesus Christ by our words, but then by our actions we're prioritizing somebody else, then we're a hypocrite. And we lead them astray because mentally they'll go, well... Clearly, Christianity is pretty low on their priority list, so it can be for me as well. So much so that later on, that Peter's hypocrisy drew a whole movement and church away. They're forcing the Gentiles to do it. So this is the result of coming away from the table. And we need to return, whether it be in our home, our work, with our friends, with our relationships. It's so important that we know that we can return to the gospel of grace the gospel of grace. Because the most damaging thing to us, to the message of Jesus, of Jesus, comma, is Christians communicating one thing with our mouths and another with our lives. It's so damaging. So damaging. Okay. Oh, wrong, there we go. Number four. The table of grace. Okay, let's wrap this up. And the rest of the Jews... 
acted hypocritically, hypocritically along with him. See how hypocrisy draws away? Come, come, come be over here. Come away from that. It's better over here. We're in more control over here. That's hard. Church is hard. Church is messed up. Church is messy. Let's do our own thing. Let, let, let's just come away for a little while. Let's, let's do community over here. Well, all the time, actually, there's the freedom that should be is here. So he's drawing them away. Barnabas was led. Um, okay, we've done this scripture. No, okay, verse 4. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. This is why I'm, I'm looking like I'm... The conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. His conduct was not in truth the step of the gospel. So if we're in the sense of feeling like we're hypocritical or we're separated and we've been drawn away, where we're feeling like we're, we're not enjoying the community and the, and the love and the connection that Jesus died for, if we're feeling that way, then we need to start looking at ourselves. And while looking at ourselves, we ask ourselves some questions. And this is what Peter, uh, Paul is pointing out when it comes to Peter. He saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. If we fail and we find ourselves in this position where we're distanced away from the table, then the wonderful thing is, is the good news is, is that we are welcome back to the table of grace at any time. Here's what Martin Luther said. He's talking about Peter. No man has ever fallen so grievously, or woman, that he could not have stood up again. On the other hand, no one has such a sure footing that he cannot fail. If Peter fell, I too may fall. If he stood up again, so can I. This is where I find encouragement. That even when it gets difficult, and even though we feel that we're alone and we're separated from where we ought to be as Christians, the good news is, is if Peter can return and be the rock on which the church was built upon, then I too can return to the grace called Jesus Christ. The grace of the cross. That Jesus died for me, gave his life to me, that I can return to that. I take responsibility for what I've done. I can return to the gospel. Because Peter's resume of straying is thick. Isn't it? Think about what some of the things were. That I, I won't deny you, Jesus. Yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I won't. Yeah, you will. And it'll be a little girl that finishes it off, Peter. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen. Jesus to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, of course I like you. No, no, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I like you. No, Peter, do you love me? No, Jesus, I I like you. Two different words for love in that scripture. This is Peter again, straying away. Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's quite the statement to make about somebody. When was the last time somebody said that to you in a coffee shop? Get behind me, Satan. Wow. And then Jesus reminding Peter on the rooftop, Peter, you can eat this. Can you please just keep your eyes upon me, Peter? You keep straying away. We are all susceptible to straying. Every one of us. And maybe that's your position here this morning. You just know you've strayed. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, but you know that you're not in a place where you are enjoying the community and the connection of the gospel. Not just the community and the connection with one another in the church, but the community and the connection that you know that you were designed to enjoy with God himself. If you know you've strayed away from that, the good news is is we're all susceptible to straying. And Peter, in all his mess-ups, was still welcome back, still came back to the table. And there are so many ways that we can do this. 
The second I take my eyes off Jesus, I'm susceptible to straying. For Peter, the second he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to drown. We keep our eyes fixed firmly upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I promise you, it's a sealed guarantee, not by me, but by the Holy Spirit himself, that if you fix your attention upon Jesus, you fix your attention upon him, then you will find hope, you will find freedom, you will find community, you will find connection. You will not stray. Will you be tempted to? Yes. But you will be anchored in in a way that brings you solidity and strength to your life. Every time Jesus had was in view by Peter, that Peter fixed his eyes on Jesus. He walked on water. He preached to thousands and saw them saved. His shadow fell on somebody and they got healed. Miracles followed him all the time that Peter kept his eyes upon Jesus. Preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. So how do we stay at the table of grace? We fix our attention upon the gospel and upon what Jesus has done. And we preach the gospel to ourselves. This is why it's so important I teach the gospel so that you can continually remind Satan when he comes the promise and the power that lives in you. That you are in Christ and Christ is in you so that you have the promise, you have the power to address and face the strength that you, uh, that you need to address the, 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 the pulling away, the, the tensions, the difficulties that we have in life that were grounded in the gospel. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to sing it. We need to pray it. We need to live it. We need to come and be in church and biblical community with it. I read a blog article recently by Seth Godin, a and, and, uh, wonderful blogger. And uh, he had a title in a, um, a blog article called The World's Worst Boss. The world's worst boss. And this is what he said. If you had a manager that talked to you the way you talked to you, you'd quit. If you had a boss that wasted as much of your time as you do, they'd fire her. If an organization developed its employees as poorly as you are developing yourself, it would soon go under. (laughs) Isn't that true? The way that we speak to ourselves, the way that we surround ourselves, the way that we develop ourselves is really poor. What we do is we listen to lies, and what I'm saying is we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. That keeps us anchored in at the table. And thirdly, surround yourself with encouragement. Surround yourself with encouragement. See, it starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus and what he has done in our lives. It starts with focusing on the gospel. It starts with preaching ourselves into the gospel and the gospel into us. We focus upon him. We resist the straying. We resist the hypocrisy. It starts with Jesus. And then we lift our eyes and we look at who else is around the table. And we connect with them. And it's difficult in this day and age to do that. Isn't it? We're not... Gone are the days where you'd sit, stand at your doorstep and chat with your neighbors. That's not the norm. It's unusual. We do it. But it takes practice. It takes connection. We need to position ourselves well for encouragement. Standing over here saying, I feel really low and discouraged and the church is rubbish and they should do a better job at this and if only they would be that way, while all the same time separating ourselves is not the way that we find all that we want stepping in and getting involved and volunteering and 
and hey, do you want to have lunch this week? Would you like to have a coffee? Not, well, we should do coffee, lie. We should do coffee. Never do coffee. Actually, have coffee, spend time with one another, share one another's lives. And it can happen in community groups, it can happen in big church, it can happen out there after church. It can happen in all sorts of different ways. It can happen with, hey, why don't you come over for a barbecue and invite a couple more people. That's what life should be like. You need to surround yourself with that encouragement and you will be firmly rooted at the table of grace. So as we come to the end, I want you to have the thought, the truth resonate inside your mind and your heart and your spirit that you belong here. You belong around the gospel. You were designed, as Dala read earlier on, that you have eternity in your heart. This is where life should be led. This is where it is inclusive. It's loving. It's kind. It's gentle. It's, it's wonderful. Is that always our experience? Sometimes it's tough. But you don't walk out from family. You, you stick with, stay along. How can I help? How can I be part of what's going on? All the time fixing our attention upon the gospel. And like Peter, let's resist that hypocrisy of drawing away and then standing at a distance saying, well, if only things were different. Yeah, if only you were different. If only you were different. And, and thankfully, Jesus' promise is, fix your eyes upon me and I will perfect your faith. So I want us in this time now, we're, we're going to celebrate what this represents. We're going to celebrate that Jesus Christ died, rose again, so that we could be welcome at the table. And I want to encourage you, as we're singing this, I want you to think about where it is in your position. Are you over here or are you here? Are you over here in your personal life with God? Are you over here with your biblical community? Is it time for you to draw in and connect around? Nicole would love to chat with you around the connect desk later and and talk about ways to connect you in. There are so many different opportunities in how you can do that. If you love art, we've got you covered. You know, if you like gathering together and and talking about life and Bible, we've got you covered. As a church wider, if you've got little ones, we've got you covered. If you've got teenagers, we've got you covered. You've got lots of different opportunities to actually connect in. And so, as we celebrate the gospel, guys, you can come up. I really want us to pray and think about where we are in relation to the table. Amen? Where are you in relation to the table? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Father, I I thank you that your heart this morning is towards us. I thank you, Jesus, that you have declared that, that if we are weary and heavy laden, that we can come to you. But Lord, that we can lay our thoughts, our attention, our struggles, our priorities at your feet. And Lord, we can listen. And, and I know, Father, that many times that brings us to a place where we need to ask for forgiveness for our priorities. And maybe, Lord, we've wandered away from the table. We've drifted away from you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that even as we sing now and, and as we connect with one another after the song, that Father, I pray that there will be a time of us coming back to the table. That Lord, we would find love. We would find grace. We would find mercy. We're so grateful, Lord, that is your promise. And Lord, I pray as a church 
that, Lord, you would strengthen us. That, Lord, the commitment to one another would go from strength to strength. So grateful for the way that you are doing that, Lord, here. Lord, we want more of you in that. And so, Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus, as we worship you and as we lift you up, as we fix our attention upon you, that, Lord, there will be a wonderful reminder of your promise and power towards every one of us who believes. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And that, Lord, that they would just thank you for your death and your resurrection. That, Lord, they would ask for forgiveness for the things, the sins that separate them from you. So grateful, Jesus, that you died for every one of those sins. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.